please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. As you turn there, just to like to extend an invitation to you this evening to, to come back to Camp Good News as we begin our a new series as uh, we continue these Sunday, first Sunday of the month, uh, Sunday evening services. We'll be beginning a series called Pathways Through the Pentateuch as we look at the first five books of the Bible and explore some major themes and how this section of scripture applies to our lives and just enjoy some time of fellowship together as a church this evening. So I invite you to, to, uh, to come out this evening to Camp Good News. Ephesians chapter 6, we're continuing these what could be called household codes, how people in relationships with one another are to, are to function. We've looked at the relationship between a husband and a wife, the relationship between children and their parents, and now this morning we'll look at the relationship between slaves and their masters. And if you would, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, and I'll be reading from a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. Verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same to them and, and stop threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your refining hand, for the way that you work in our lives to, to change us, and though sometimes that process of changing is very uncomfortable, very unpleasant. We rejoice in, in the joy that it also brings, the, the joy of being drawn into deeper fellowship with you, deeper relationship with you, greater holiness. And so as we look this morning at your word, your word through your Holy Spirit, please soften our hearts and cause us to be receptive to the things that you're teaching us cause us with joy to be obedient, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. In her book, Total Truth, Nancy Piercy tells the story of a man named Seely Yates. At age 25, Seely Yates would seem to have been a very happy young man. He had completed law school, he had passed the bar exam, and now had a very lucrative job at a law firm. He had a beautiful family. And so from an outsider looking into his life, you would have thought that Yates would have been very happy, but at 25, Yates was miserable. And as he thought about his life and, and why he was so miserable, he, he thought back to an event that had taken place a, a decade ago at age 15. At 15, he had gone to a, a summer camp with his church youth group, and at this summer camp, 
one night there had been a, an altar call and, and Yates had responded and, and that night he had dedicated his life to the Lord and, and had thought that he was going to go in, into ministry and yet as his life proceeded he did not go into full-time vocational ministry and at, at 25 as he looked at his life he realized that there was one component of his life that was, that was filled with spiritual significance. He was involved in church and in ministry and, and his family, and, and so there was, he could see how God was at work in, in that area of his life, his, his church life. And yet, as he looked at his life, he realized that there was another component of his life as well, and it was very secular. It was the, the job that he did on a day-to-day basis. And, and sure, he was a, a lawyer who was a Christian, but as he looked at that, at that segment of his life, he wondered if there was any spiritual significance to what he was doing as an attorney. And he had within him a deep longing for spiritual significance in his work. Yates began to attend a, a Bible study program. And as he went through this Bible study, he began to, to think about how he could change the way that he viewed work, how he could change his perspective on the work that God had called him to do. And Yates began, began to change. No longer was he a Christian who was an attorney. He became a, a Christian attorney. And he began to, to think about the people that God had, had called into his life. And he realized that that God's call on him was not merely to provide them with, with sound legal advice and counsel, but to be a, a spiritual counsel to these people as well. They were coming to him, after all, some of them at the, the darkest moment of their lives, and terrible things were, were going on in their lives, and he saw an opportunity to minister to these people. It radically transformed his life. No longer was he a, a Christian and an attorney, but those areas of his life became fused together and he became Christ's laborer in the workplace. I don't believe that what Yates experienced was unique to him. I believe that very often Christians are discouraged, are frustrated in the workplace. On one hand, they're frustrated for all the same reasons that just a normal person would be frustrated in the workplace. They've got these, these co-workers that, that, that stab them in the back. They have these, these bosses who, who don't appreciate them. They have the, the structural problems that are, that are inherent in any organization and, and the, the frustrations that are involved just in working within a, a, a structure, a company, or, or whatever. And yet the Christian has the added frustration of wondering, now, I've got this boss or these, these, these co-workers or the structure that I'm working with and, and it's frustrating. How do I respond to this as a believer? And then the other problem for a Christian as he or she goes about her work in the workplace is, is this. Does God even care about what I'm doing? Is there any sort of spiritual significance to the things that I'm involved in at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day? Is there any spiritual meaning to this? That's what I believe that Christians sometimes wrestle with in the workplace. The same things that everyone wrestles with and then 
some additional things. Is what I'm doing important to God? I believe as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, God's going to call us to, to change our perspective on the way that we view our work. I believe that being a Christian in the workplace means more than just being an honest employee. It means more than just occasionally sharing the gospel with other people. I believe that, that what we need as Christians in the workplace is a, a radical change of perspective and, say, and understand this. It's not just a, a pastor or a missionary who's, who's called to a certain job. Every believer has been called by God to be whatever it is they, that they are, wherever they are. That is, a person that's, that finds himself in the workplace has been placed there by a sovereign God to be Christ's laborer in that context. The person, the person who's a worker in the workplace is Christ's worker in the workplace. And really, that's the, the central idea I want to communicate this morning. The Christian laborer is Christ's laborer. The Christian laborer is Christ's laborer. God's goal for you in your workplace is not that you would have co-workers that like you a whole bunch, although that would be nice. God's goal for you in the workplace is not that your boss would think that you're just the super-duperest employee ever. God's goal for you in the workplace is not promotions, ultimately. God's goal for you in the workplace is that you would be the presence of Christ in that place in which he has sovereignly put you. God's goal is that you would be the presence of Christ there in your workplace. Well, before we begin looking at some principles related to this idea that the Christian laborer is is Christ's laborer, let's lay a little bit of groundwork because you're saying, okay, Daniel, uh, the passage that you're preaching from this morning, verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6, is about slaves and masters. And I understand you got to say something, but don't you think it's a little bit of a stretch to put this in the context of today's corporate or whatever culture? Let's talk a little bit about slavery in, in Paul's day. First of all, uh, an important thing to understand about slavery is that slavery was a widespread phenomenon in the Roman Empire in, the, in Paul's day. It's estimated that in some areas, a third of the population would be slaves. And in some areas of the Roman Empire, it's, it's estimated that, that 80 to 90 percent of the population was made up of, of slaves or former slaves. And so slavery was not some unique phenomenon that, that affected a few people. Slavery within the culture of, of Paul's context of writing, was a widespread phenomenon. And a person became a slave in a variety of ways in Paul's day. A person could be born into slavery. A person could become a slave through, through becoming in debt to another person. A, a criminal could become a slave. A thief could become a slave. A person who'd been conquered by another group could become a slave. And so there were a variety of slaves, a variety of, of ways to become a slave. Not only were there a variety of ways to become a slave, but there was a variety of experiences that, that a slave would have. It wasn't just a, one class of people who were slaves. In fact, if you, you think about the different social classes in Paul's day, the temptation might be to say, well, there was the, the noble people and perhaps uh, some religious leaders, and, and then you have the, the working class, and, and then you have the slaves, and that's simply not the case. 
slaves could actually be found on, on every class level except the, the very, very highest level. So to say that a person was a slave was not to identify the social class in which they fell. A slave could, could be in, in any number of classes. And it wasn't just that slaves did kind of the, the dirty work, as one historian has put it. Slaves were involved in, in labor at all levels. Slaves were involved in, 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 in all work. That, that responsibility of the, the slave class, or the slave, people, group of people who would be termed slaves and increased throughout the years in the Roman Empire. Also, as you think about the slave in Paul's day, the slave had an enormous amount of, of a variety of, of legal rights and, and responsibilities. So a slave could conceivably own property, could earn their freedom, and in fact it's estimated that most slaves by the age of 30 earned their, their freedom. Here's kind of what I believe is the essential common element of, of all slaves in Paul's culture, and, and here's where I believe we have this bridge to our own culture as well. All slaves, all slave systems here in Paul's day had a relationship of, of economic codependence with another person. That is, both the, the slave and that was at the lowest class and the slave that was at the higher class had this uh, economic codependent relationship with, a, with their master. They were dependent upon another person. This, this economic codependence meant that one person was in greater obligation or had a greater responsibility to another. Now you can see the parallel in our own culture. Uh, we too find ourselves in relationships of economic codependence. <laughs> We find ourselves working for another person in order to sustain our, our families, to provide for them. And so I believe that the work that Paul calls a slave to engage in and the responsibility he calls a master to have a cultural application to us as well in the workplace. Well, let's look here at the principles then. The main idea then, uh, again, is that the Christian laborer is Christ's laborer. Look here at the text with me, and we're going to see four, four principles. The first principle from verse 5 is this, obey the authority that God has placed over you. Obey the authority that God has placed over you. This is what Paul says in verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Obey the authority that God has placed over you in your workplace. And there's four elements of obedience here. The first element is this. Do what you're told to do. <laughs> Slaves in Paul's day were sometimes accused of rebellion and disobedience. The mark of a faithful slave was the slave who would take what his master told him to do or her to do and then implement it. The same is true in our culture. Very often, we as employees can come up with a variety of excuses for not doing what our bosses, what our employers have told us to do. Well, you know, my, my employer, he's kind of a dumb guy, all right? He doesn't really know what needs to happen over here. Or uh, it's a lot easier. I know I'm supposed to do the job this way, but it's, but it's easier to do it this way. If I do it the way that he tells me to do it, it'll, it'll take 
more time, and, and uh, furthermore, it won't be done as well. And There are a variety of excuses that we can come up with for not doing what we've been told to do. God's call on the person who is a, a laborer, a worker, is to obey the person that God has placed in authority over them. The first element of that, of that is simply doing what you're told to do. The second element here of being obedient to the authority that God has placed over you is doing what you're told to do with respect for the position that God has placed them in. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, To obey your earthly masters with fear and with trembling. The master in Paul's day had an enormous amount of authority over the slave. In some contexts, the, the master even held the authority of life and death over the slave. So Paul says there needs to be a certain amount of, of reverence for the person who's in this position of authority over them. The question for us is, is how do we respond to the authority that God has placed over us? Are we disdainful to it, dismissive of the authority? Paul says do what you're told to do, be obedient with a sense of, of reverence for this position that God has placed them in. Third element of obedience here is to do what you're told to do, not just with respect for the position that God has placed your authority in, but also to do what you're told to do with enthusiasm. Look what he says. He says, he says obey with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, wholeheartedly. Your goal as you're obedient to your employer is not personal benefit, but, but doing what you're told to do enthusiastically. Those of us who are, are part of the, uh, the, the younger generation, I think, sometimes struggle with this idea of, of doing what we're told to do with, with enthusiasm. The fourth element of obedience here is, is do what you're told to do as you ultimately submit to Christ. So again, the, the principle for the Christian in the workplace here, the first one is to obey the authority that God has placed over you. That means doing what you're told to do. It means having a, a reverence for the position of authority that God has placed someone in. It means, it means serving with enthusiasm. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And the last element here is you're doing what you're told to do as you ultimately submit to Christ. Think about as we've gone through the book of Ephesians. Remember we talked about the relationship between a, a husband and a wife first. And what did Paul say about the wife as she submitted to her husband? He said, ultimately, your submission to your husband is submission to Christ. As he talked to, to children, he said, look, ultimately, children, you're submitting not to your parents. You're ultimately submitting to God. And now he says, look, those of you who find yourself in a position where someone has authority over you in the workplace, ultimately, as you submit to them, you're not submitting to them, but you are submitting to God. Now, what's the implication? The implication is this, as you are disdainful toward your employer, toward your boss, towards your manager, towards those that God has placed in authority over you, as you are disdainful towards them, as you are disrespectful towards them, as you fail to be obedient to them, who are you ultimately being disdainful toward? Ultimately, you're being disdainful to the one who has placed them in authority over you. You're being disdainful to, to God himself. You know, I, I believe that disdain, disrespect towards an employer is a common trait of unsuccessful people. 
Uh, People who fail to advance well in life always can blame someone else. My boss is, excuse me, kids, my boss is an idiot. My my boss is stupid. My boss doesn't really know how the company should be run. Uh, My my coworkers just just are, are sabotaging me. There's always an excuse for an unsuccessful person. Now, certainly sometimes we do find ourselves in circumstances where our boss isn't the most intelligent person in the room. But God calls us to have a certain reverence for the position in which he or she has been placed over us and to obey that authority when possible and when not possible, to be honest and open about our inability to do so. Uh, So that's the first principle for a Christian as, as he or she finds herself in the workplace is obey the authority that God has placed over you. Obey it with with doing what you're told to do with the right heart attitude, ultimately submitting to Christ. Now, here's the second principle. I don't want to leave verse 5 without touching upon this because I think this is something that many, many, many believers struggle to implement and need to understand. Notice in verse 5, he says, Obey your what? Obey your earthly masters. The second principle, therefore, is this. Remember that you are a temp, not a permanent employee. As you think about the context in which God has placed you, remember, you're a temp. This is a a temporary position that God has called you to. Now, remember, he's writing to slaves here. It's his first primary audience. And imagine being the slave of another person and thinking about the tremendous authority that this person has over you on a day-to-day-to-day basis. And you can imagine how overwhelming that authority that they have might feel. And you think, you know, this person has has total and complete control over my life, and, and, you know, my freedom is dependent upon when this person says my freedom will will take place. Uh, They have assigned me what job I'm going to do. Uh, You know, they either assign me a very low job or a high job. And my whole life revolves around the authority of my master. And Paul says, yes, but they are your earthly master. And as amazing and as as overwhelming as their authority may feel for a time, it is temporary. And many believers would do well to understand the temporary nature of their employment. I think many believers struggle with, with how to balance the different responsibilities that God has called them to. I really enjoy it when I get emails during the week of, of people who are thinking about what we're going to be talking about on Sunday, and this week I sent out an email and mentioned what we're going to be talking about, and several people contacted me and, and said, man, I, I'm excited about this, and, and I, I've been thinking about this in my own life. And one email I got from, from someone that said this, they, they were talking about the responsibility and the struggle they have as, as, uh, as believers in this area and their family, and and this person wrote, she, uh, wrote uh, many employees are, are frustrated with the longer hours being expected and the reductions in benefits associated, or the reduction in associated pay and benefits given the current economic conditions. Uh, I must admit, I struggle. Our, our family struggles with the 80-hour work weeks, which extend into our family time in the evenings and weekends, and yet also have a sense of responsibility to our employer and team to to meet our employer's expectations. 
I think that's very well worded. And I think, that although I, I can't, I don't think I can give a specific, this is exactly how you balance these things. I think this principle helps us as we think about our motivation and responsibility towards our employer. We're a temp, not a, a permanent employee. This is a earthly calling, not our eternal calling. Oftentimes, I think that we, even as believers, begin to define ourselves by our careers. One of the first things that we ask a person as we meet them is, you know, what do you do? This last week, Whitney and I were in Tennessee, and we were helping my, my grandparents move out of an assisted living center. And as my grandmother was talking about all the people they had, had met at this assisted living center, how was she describing them? Well, you know, several decades ago, this guy was a, a fireman, or several decades ago, this guy was a, a pastor, and she just went, or an engineer, and she just went through all the different responsibilities that, that people had had. And, and how did she define who they were? Well, by their careers. Imagine this. Imagine that you uh, are approached by a CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. And the CEO says, you know, uh, I like the cut of your jib. It's, it's a sailing company or something, I don't know. He says, uh, I would like you to become the next CEO of our company. I've talked to the board about it, they're cool with it, and so you are going to become the, the next CEO of this multi-billion dollar corporation. And you say, sounds great, you know, I'm, I'm ready, put me in coach. It's also a sporting good store. And uh, as, as you get ready to, 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 to undertake this task, the, the, the CEO says, all right, this is great. We're going inst- to have you start this position in, in three months uh, at the end of the summer. But what I'd like you to do over the summer is serve as, as an intern. I want you to go around and I, I want you to, to change light bulbs in all the different uh, offices that, are, that our company has across the, the globe. You're going to go into offices, you're going to meet people, you're going to change their light bulbs. It's a temporary job. How do you approach that job of changing light bulbs and getting to know other people? Well, a wise temp, a person who's doing this for a temporary amount of time, keeps their, their, their heart, their mind, their emotions focused on the future. The person who, who understands that their job is, is temporary and a, and a better job awaits uses that time as a, a temporary employee wisely. They say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know the people that I need to get to know in order to do my, my next job even better. If my job is to be a representative of someone else, I'm, I'm going to be a, a good representative. I'm going to do the task that I've been called to do well and to the best of my ability, but I ain't writing my name on the, do- on the door, okay? I'm not engraving my name on the desk. Light bulb changer, because I know that my, my ultimate responsibility lies in the future. We as believers sometimes get so obsessed about the immediate career in which we're in and define our lives and, and everything around this, this temporary job that God has called us to do. And certainly God has called us to the jobs that we're in, but they are temporary jobs with a more ultimate responsibility. And the believer who loses that perspective has focused on the light bulbs instead of being the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. It's silly. 
how does that relate to balancing family and all those responsibilities? I think it gets down to an issue of perspective and motivation. As our employer demands more of our time, what's our motivation in pursuing additional responsibilities? And sometimes our motivation is this, uh, we're motivated by advancement within within this company and defining ourselves by our career and our success in that career, and that's simply not what God has caused us to be, called us to be ultimately motivated by. A temporary employee is not motivated by short-term benefits at the expense of long-term rewards. God has called the believer to, yes, do an excellent job, but to understand this, this job is temporary, and this employee that I, ha- that I have is not my ultimate employer. believe that God has called us to be motivated by his glory in whatever context he's placed us. You think about the first century slave, and, and here's why I don't think we can draw any hard and line, hard fast lines on how many hours or whatever we're supposed to do a week because and say, well, you're supposed to work exactly 54 and a half hours, and that, that 30 seconds you go over that, suddenly you're in sin and not being a very good, uh, fulfilling your family responsibilities. Think about a first century slave. I mean, that person, they had the responsibility always to be at the beck and call of their employer. And I don't think that a believer in that context was in disobedience as they worked as their employer told them they had to work. They were providing ultimately for their family. And they understood that God had placed upon them that that responsibility to care for their family. And so a slave in that context worked a lot of hours, was motivated though by a desire to be the, 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 uh, the slave for the glory of God and to provide for their family through that circumstance. Oftentimes, we forget that the job that God has called us to do though is a, a temporary job. We've become motivated to do these, these things that aren't necessarily all that beneficial because we're focused on this temporary job. Third principle for the Christian in the workplace that I think is helpful for us to think through is this. We're called to serve Christ enthusiastically. We see this in verses 6 through 8. And so when I, when I say, remember that you're a temporary employee, not a permanent employee, employer, uh, employee, employee that, by no means, that by no means means that we do our, our work half-heartedly. We don't say, well, I'm a, I'm a temp, so I'm going to kind of get through this job thing and, and then do my real work somewhere else. No, God calls us to be the most productive employee possible. We're, we're not half-hearted in the things that God has called us to do. We're to be better even than those who have made their career their whole lives. And four things that I think this means, if you think about serving Christ enthusiastically in this text, first of all, it means that your enthusiasm that you have for the work that God has called you to do is not based upon the recognition that you will receive for that work. Look at verse 6. He says, be obedient, verse 5, verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Again, this first thing that this that means to serve Christ enthusiastically is that the enthusiasm you have for your work is not determined by the favor it may gain you with your employer. You know people like that, right? He's describing people here whose work is based upon the recognition that they're going to receive. Remember whenever you were in school, there's always that one kid in the class that 
really, really seemed to like the teacher a whole, whole bunch and thought the teacher was, and then whenever they turned in their reports, they used those, those cool little cover papers and, and their, their whole life seemed designed around getting the, the recognition from the teacher. Didn't you love it when those kids got beat up or something? No one likes those people in our flesh, but God calls us not to be those people in our heart. Our responsibility as believers is to, to do work, but not to do work based upon recognition we might receive. Our work instead is based upon what our job is, not the recognition that we'll get from doing our job. If you go to Bethany Baptist Church on a Sunday morning, and before the service begins, if you walk up on stage and go behind the pulpit, you'll look and you'll see that there's a glass of ice water there behind the pulpit. There is a man at Bethany Baptist Church who has been, for, for decades, has been going before church service begins, getting ice, putting water in the cup, and setting it behind the pulpit. Doing it for decades. I didn't even know that such a magical cup existed until I'd been at Bethany for several years. I've listened to Pastor Rich give hundreds of sermons. Do you know how many times I've seen him drink out of that, that glass of ice water? Maybe once or twice. But that faithful saint, for week after week after week after week after week after month after month after year after year, for decades, has been going before church begins, and making sure that there is a glass of ice water behind that pulpit. Why? It's not for any recognition that they're going to receive. They do it because it's the job that God has called them to. And they, they do it with excellence and with joy, not by way of pleasing other people. It's not a, an upfront ministry, but they do it as servants of Christ. Serve Christ enthusiastically. That, that means the enthusiasm that you have for your job is, is based upon the work God has called you to do, not the recognition that you're going to receive from it. And so as God calls you to be whatever it is in your job, and God calls you to this job, your passion for your job is not based upon the recognition you're going to receive from your coworkers, from your employer, from those that you do the work for. Your motivation comes not by way of being a people pleaser, but by being a God pleaser as servants of Christ. What else does this mean, to serve Christ enthusiastically? Well, the text means that, we're, it's done, that the, your work is done as servants of Christ. You're inwardly motivated by desire for his glory as servants of Christ, he says. It also means, then, as you're doing your work as a servant of Christ, that you understand that you are a constant presence of Christ in the workplace in which God has, has put you. If you're a physician, a nurse, a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, an engineer, whatever it is that God has called you to do, you do that work to the best of your ability as a servant of Christ. It's not like, okay, I'm an engineer, and uh, I engineer in the morning, and then at, at 11.30 I have my lunch hour, and I I may pray with other people and have a Bible study. At that moment, I'm a Christian. And then after my uh, Bible study time at lunch, I become an engineer again. 
as you are designing and, 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 and doing structures and, and doing all the things that, that an engineer does, you're, you're, you're doing those designs and, and all the things that an engineer does for the glory of God. Understanding that, that you are able to design things and there are, are principles as an engineer that you can follow because God has designed things that way. And so as you design things, you're, you're understanding that there's a creator God and you are following in his footsteps, being an engineer for the glory of God and a presence of Christ in that workplace. This also means that your work is of the, the highest quality possible. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, rendering service with a, a good will, with, with, with good work. And a, a slave in Paul's context here is, is doing the work that his master has called him to do with a, a good will, a right heart attitude, hearty service as to the Lord, ultimately, and not man. He's not cheating his employer. He's imagining that, that God himself, is, as he goes through his work, is, is standing over his shoulder watching what he's doing. And as he, he does this work, he, he wants to do this work to the highest level possible to please God. He serves Christ with enthusiasm here. This also means, as he does this work, that the quality of his work is reflecting the character of his true master. It means that also here that he's expecting true recompense from God and not from man. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way. He says, whatever you do, this is Colossians 3, 23, follow me. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. As an engineer designs, as a physician performs surgeries, as a, a doctor sees patients, as a teacher instructs children. Each of them does those things with, with enthusiasm, understanding that, that God has called them to, to do this labor, to do this work, and there's the excitement as they're able to do the things that God has called them to do. They are not teachers who are Christians, they are Christian teachers, always a Christian, always doing the work of God, always being the presence of Christ in the workplace. It's a radical change of perspective, but it's essential for us to have satisfaction in doing the things that God has called us to do. The last principle here for the Christian in the workplace is this. The Christian in the workplace is to exercise authority with humility. To exercise authority with humility. Here's what Paul says in verse 9. He says, masters, and now he turns the table here, he's been talking to slaves, and now masters are those of you who find yourselves in positions of authority over others. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. 
God places an enormous amount of culpability, an enormous amount of responsibility upon those who find themselves in positions of authority over others. In fact, keep your finger there in Ephesians chapter 6 and turn back towards the book of James. It's right after the book of Hebrews. Before you get into to Peter, I'm sorry, uh, right, after, right, yeah, right before you get into, into, into Peter. And uh, here, in, here in James, he has some words to those who find themselves in, in positions of authority. James chapter 5, he talks to those who are wealthy, and he says this in James chapter 5, verse 1. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Verse 2, your riches have, have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And this is the, the key verse here, I think, for a, a person in position of authority to think about. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. A person who is a slave has certain responsibilities to their employer the person who is in a position of authority over them. Uh, the slave has a responsibility to do their work to the, to the best of their ability, not based upon the, the worthiness of their master, but upon the, the greatness of their Lord. Similarly, the Lord calls masters to exercise the authority that they've been, they have they've, uh, been given to them to exercise that authority with great humility. And so sometimes a person in a position of authority is tempted to be harsh, unfair, ungracious with the people in a position underneath him or her. God's call on the master is to realize that he is going to be culpable for how the people under him function how the level of success that they achieve, the amount of provision that they receive for their labor. He says here, go back, you can go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And he says this, look, masters, stop threatening. And then he says this about God. Know this, know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. You want to say, you want, you want to talk titles? Look, God, uh, you know, I'm a director of such and such. I, I'm a manager of, of so and so. I've got this title on my desk or on my door. My business card says senior such and such. God says, who cares? Who cares? I, look, look where God is. You're director of what and whatever? I'm in heaven. I'm your master and theirs. I show no partiality. And your responsibility as a person in a position of authority, if you're a believer, is to understand that God doesn't care about your title. God doesn't look upon you and say, you know what? You're a go-getter. You're, you're beating up that business world. I, I think you're a little better than so-and-so. God shows no partiality. You're a temp. 
You're changing light bulbs for a living, whatever your job title is. A Christian in the workplace should change, have a radical change of perspective. Earlier this week, I, I sent out the, the weekly update and quoted some statistics from Harris Interactive. And according to these statistics, the majority of the people in here who are in the workplace are pretty unhappy about it. The statistics said that two-thirds of workers are not satisfied with their compensation. 78% aren't satisfied with their company's overall retention efforts. 76% unhappy with, are unhappy with their future career growth opportunities. Half aren't satisfied with the relationship with their boss. The majority don't like their coworkers, 59%. 77% aren't satisfied with the vision of the company. 68% of the workers aren't satisfied with their company's contribution to the retirement plans, and on and on and on and on. Workers aren't happy. How is the believer to respond? The believer responds by having a, a radical change of perspective. He says, you know what, it'd be nice if some of these other things changed, but but that's not my ultimate, the ultimate way in which I determine success in my job or not. The Christian laborer is Christ's laborer. And the satisfaction that I receive in my job is directly related to how well I'm pursuing the glory of God in my workplace. There are things that, that each person in here who has, has a job, there are things that God is going to allow them to do that no one else in this room can do. There are people that, that you're going to be able to come alongside of in your job and, and pray with that I will never meet, that, that, that someone over here will, will never, never know. God has called you to be his labor in the workplace so that you can be the presence of Christ wherever that God has placed you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the jobs that you've given us. We thank you for the workplace that you've called each of us to, be it in our homes, be it as independent employees, be it as, as people in a, a large corporation or a small office. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would cause us to be your presence in the place to which you've called us to be, allow us to encourage others in uh, their workplace as well. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.